It's your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Big show today, as it always is. But as I, I as I was going through the show prep today, kind of getting ready, as I always do, I'm always jotting down notes. What's going to be on the next day's show? Um, realized I had to throw some more stuff overboard than I usually do. We're not even gonna get to any of the Vikings stuff from the scouting combine GM Quase Adolfo Mensa having some interesting comments in uh, in that regard. I'll get to those I think on Thursday's show, but uh, right now the Wild and the Wolves were just too interesting to uh, to to ignore. So we'll get to those in just a minute. Um Lunani, uh, hockey legend in Minnesota probably needs no introduction as I say in a little while here will be on with me as well. Louis is one of 10 inductees into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame. An amazing career for him with the Gophers, um, with the North Stars, as the general manager of the North Stars, and then just generally being an ambassador for the game after that. And he just has a great, kind of a great journey in hockey. He's 81 now. It's still going strong and just was a nice occasion to kind of catch up with him, not on anything specific, but more just his journey and uh, and of obviously his induction into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame. That ceremony tonight at uh, at Mall of America, if you're around, it's just in the rotunda. You can check some of that out from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock tonight. Um, so Louie will join me in just a little bit, too. Great conversation with him. And uh, some Nordic skiing at the end. Jesse Diggins, a big story there. Um, first, though, what did I miss? Like I said, Wolves and Wild. Um, I don't want to get too Wolves and Wild heavy all the time, but they're interesting right now. They're definitely interesting. They both played on uh, on Tuesday. Both had very good results on Tuesday. It could be a pretty important day when we think about the trajectory of each of their seasons. Let's start with the Wild because congratulations to them. They made Bill Guerin's job um, about as easy as they possibly could in the last 10 games by winning, racking up points, but doing it in a way that made it abundantly clear what they needed to add now that the trade deadline is just two days away. Wild adding two players, two forwards on uh, on Tuesday in two separate deals. Marcus Johansson coming back to the Wild. He played here a few years ago. That in a swap for a third-round pick. Gustav Nyquist, a very good offensive player who's injured right now that they're hoping will be able to help later in this season. Got him for a fifth-round pick. And uh, you might look at it and say, well, why, why do they need to make a move right now? They're winning. They're, they're doing just fine. Why upset things? Things are going well. Uh, look at the last 10 games, like I said. Uh, let's go back 10 games to the start of this you know, pretty good stretch after they had lost three in a row. 3-2 um, shootout win, 2-1 shootout loss, 3-2 loss, 2-1 shootout win, 4-3 win, which qualifies as a shootout, um, not, a, not an actual shootout, but a, a, a goal-scoring frenzy these days. Uh, 2-1 win, 2 nothing win, 2-1 overtime loss, 3-2 overtime win, and then last night against the Islanders, 2-1 shootout win. Only one game in the last 10 in which either team reached four goals. Um, this is a team that's been very stingy on defense, but has had a hard prime lately putting the puck in the net. So no secret what they needed at the deadline. I think Bill Guerin even forecast that later in the week. GM Bill, Bill Guerin, when he said, you know, kind of talking about the good goaltending they're getting, talking about getting you know solid defense, and then talking about the offense, thinking he has, still has confidence in those guys, uh, but added two forwards to the mix, giving Dean Evison some options. Um, here is Bill Guerin talking about those moves on Tuesday. Like if you're talking about like playoff-type players or 
I think we have enough grit. I think we have enough toughness and size and things like that. I, this was just these two players. I think are what we what we were missing, what we needed, and that is they're they're both highly skilled guys. They're excellent skaters, and I think they're going to provide us with you know uh, you know just some some just that natural ability out there to, to, you know, they're both effortless skaters and, and just high hockey sense guys that can make plays. And we, I think we could really use that. And again, I don't think either of these guys is a savior. You might even be a little bit underwhelmed by these moves and there could still be more to come. Wild still have the equivalent of about $7 million in prorated cap space that they could use on another player here, another swap in the next couple of days. But it sounds like these guys kind of factor in as, you know, middle middle six forwards. Um, so basically second or third line guys, not a top line, not top line guys, but giving them more possibility to take some of the scoring burden off of that top line, off of Kirill Kaprizov, which is very necessary. And, and whatever these guys provide, uh, Johansson and Nyquist, it, it remains to be seen. But um, not a ton to give up in either salary or draft capital. I think the third rounder was next year. The fifth rounder is this year. Um, so, you know, not, not a huge price to pay if you think you can help yourself right now, um, going forward. So, you know, good moves from Bill Guerin, I think, you know, and we'll see if there's more to come. Even if you're a little underwhelmed, if you're saying, well, they're not really going for it. Yeah. I mean, this is not really a Stanley cup team probably. Um, but you know, they are, they have put themselves in a position now by winning enough games lately that they're in contention, certainly for a playoff spot and maybe even for a division title, if they can keep this going. I mean, they, like they, like Bill Guerin said, they've been giving a, getting a lot of, Good play in their own end. Uh, Philip Gustafsson, 39 saves in that 2-1 to shootout win against the Islanders last night. He's been rolling big time, but, you know, at some point that might dry up. At some point you never know how well that's going to go. So you've got you've to gotta give yourself some scoring options. You've got to give yourself a chance to win multiple ways, and that is what they did with these moves. Now the Timberwolves, we can't figure these guys out. I wrote them off the other day, three bad losses in a row. Um, everything looking negative, um, down in the standings. I'm saying you're not even going to make the play in. And then they beat the Clippers. Um, and I like the Clippers are the greatest team in the world, but it's a road game. Everything's feeling like it's going the wrong way. And then they put together a pretty mature, finally, uh, performance. Come back from an early deficit, hold on at the end, which I think was important. I didn't, I didn't think it was a great finish, a great close, but I think they did do enough in those final four minutes to feel like okay it wasn't just like a hold on for dear life they executed big plays being uh, Jaden McDaniels making a three that kind of gave him a nine point cushion and then a nice play um, kind of in the final 30 seconds I think the basket came with about 23 seconds left Anthony Edwards gets double teamed finds Kyle Anderson Anderson dishes to Rudy Gobert for a dunk that essentially sealed the game final 108 to 101 Important in a lot of regards, of course. They had to stop the losing streak. They win the season series against the Clippers. The Clippers are just one game ahead of the Wolves now. Clippers 33 and 31. Wolves 32 and 32. So in these races for the you know the play-in, the playoffs, however it's going to shake out, that tiebreaker could be important down the stretch. Got some other good news too. You know, some teams they're chasing lost. Utah loses to a, to San Antonio, which was a bad loss for Utah. That final. Um, San Antonio 102, Utah 94. So tough one for Utah. The Wolves move ahead of Utah in that regard. Uh, the Lakers lose. 
No LeBron, no D'Angelo Russell and get in that game. LeBron thinking he's going to miss two to three weeks with that foot injury. Russell's been out with an ankle injury. Um, Oklahoma City loses. That's another team that's right in that mix. So pretty good night for the Wolves in general as we kind of think about teams that they're trying to eclipse going forward. Um, so again, though, I don't know what to make of this team because they, they, they don't put forth this professional effort in a lot of these finishing situations. And then they do this against the Clippers where it does look better. Maybe that's just the volatility of sports. Um, maybe it's just the, the matchup against the Clippers because I think the Clippers are a good matchup for them. Um, like I said, Jaden McDaniels had a big game, 20 points, really good on both ends. Interesting to me to see um, to see kind of how the, the rotations are shaking out. So Nikhil Alexander-Walker getting more minutes in these last few games, 17 minutes in this game, had five points, two assists, was a plus seven in the game, bringing them a little bit of two-way play you know obviously cutting into Austin Rivers minutes a little bit no Jalen Noel lately with an injury so that's been interesting to watch his evolution so the rotation looking a little different maybe looking a little bit more defense oriented um, but whatever it is it worked on Tuesday now can they sustain it can they keep that going for more than just a game can they can they develop some kind of consistency that is going to be the question going forward and we haven't seen it much yet this year We'll see if they can do it. We'll see. Maybe I just need to stop catastrophizing and saying every time that they lose, the season's over, and every time that they win, conversely, everything's okay. Maybe that's just. Maybe this is just the team. Maybe they just are going to be like this the rest of the year, and we'll see how that helps them shake out when all is said and done. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, I'm very happy to be joined today by Lou Nanny, someone who probably doesn't even need an introduction. Anybody who's in Minnesota sports, has followed Minnesota sports for any length of time, knows Lou and his long connection to hockey here. But the occasion today is uh, Lou is one of 10 inductees into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame um, ceremony Wednesday night at Mall of America. A lot of deserving honorees. Lou, I'm kind of surprised you weren't already in this Hall of Fame, but I'm glad you are now. Um, congrats, and how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Well, like like I maybe explained to you before, we uh, we began recording. I just I wanted to um, I wanted to kind of get a journey through through your eyes for for everything you've seen in hockey and obviously you know, playing playing in Minnesota, playing for the North Stars, general manager of the North Stars. You you kind of your name is kind of synonymous with Minnesota hockey. That said, so you know so many things have kind of I think hockey has some some universal truths, but also a lot of things that have changed in the game over the years. And I wanted to maybe have a conversation with you just about that and maybe we can start with what you know as as you think back to your experience in hockey and everything that you've seen both you know player general manager and now as a you know an observer of the game for so many years what what to you are like i said the universal truths of hockey what things hold up from the time you played until right now in terms of just on the ice or, or just things about the game that have not changed well i think uh, the speed and contact are the most important parts of the game and that hasn't changed except for the better. you got the game is much faster than it used to be back when I, I, I was playing. And <clears throat> the guys are bigger, stronger, and faster. 
and a contact uh, remains, as a matter of fact. I, the only thing I'd like to see taken out is after somebody makes a good body check, somebody goes and fights them. That's the most ludic ludicrous thing in the game. And I I told that to the commissioner and the assistant, <laughs> deputy commissioner, everybody. I said, the game will only get better if you take that part out of it. But overall, uh, it's become easily a more universal game than it was uh, back. I'm, I'm, I'm looking back 60 years. So right. It's, it's becoming that for sure. And the growth of the game in the United States has been unbelievable. Uh, it, it's an un, unknown fact that people don't really know or think, but there's more players, you know, uh, playing hockey in, in Minnesota than there are in any province of Canada except Ontario and more than any country except in Sweden. And, and uh, so it's mind-boggling the growth of the game for both boys and girls. And, and and it's great to see how many guys now are able to play in the NHL. I think, yeah. to me, that's the, the, the biggest, most positive change I've seen uh, in 60 years. When you, I mean, you grew up in Ontario, so St. Marie, when did Minnesota become home to you, and how, what was that adaptation like? Well, I, I was uh, looking for a school to go in the United States because I was owned by the Blackhawks when I was 13, 14 years old. And, and because I wanted to be a dentist, uh, they wanted me to go to St. Catharines to play junior hockey and i said no i'm going to school and they said well you go to mcmaster in hamilton i said they don't have a dental school he said well you go there you don't play i said well then i'm going to go to the states and fortunately for me uh uh john mariucci called he had found out that the north Dakota was trying to recruit me and okay and i wasn't going to go there because of a dental school and he called and he asked me to fly it out which i did i didn't know where minnesota was or who john was <laughs> Yeah, And I'll never forget the words he said to me. He says, you come here, you'll never leave. And he was wow. right. But uh, it gave me the opportunity to to watch how the games developed. And the biggest reason in my mind for the growth of hockey in uh, in Minnesota and, and maybe even in the country with John Mariucci, he used to spend 70, 75 days a year going out and speaking about getting boys and girls to play hockey, especially boys at that time. Sure. They didn't have girls sports to a big degree. And and uh when I when I was first here, there was, you know, the the rink in St. Paul, the rink on DuPont, Minneapolis. They had okay. high school in Aldrich, and then came uh South St. Paul and, and Braemar. That's in the in the whole Twin City area. Wow. And John just kept saying we, we got to go out, we got to grow this game. And he said, Louis, I'm recruiting you because you're 18 years old. I don't think it's fair that our kids have to play against guys coming out of junior, which they used to do at that time from Canada. So he, he said, I have nothing against Canadians, but I have something against them coming down here 20 to 25 years old. So his mission was to grow the game in Minnesota and, and, and also in the United States and boy, I'd like to see his face now to see the result of what he really initiated and started and gave the boys, especially in, in Minnesota, an opportunity to play. Well, you 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 make a great point. And just backing up a minute to something you said about how, you know, you were owned by the Blackhawks at such a young age. And then school was a major consideration in terms of, you know, where you wanted to go to school and kind of the education you're going to get because at that time, Lou, I mean, this, this is before multi-million dollar contracts. We're, we're talking about a time where you could actually, you you could make a better living in a lot of cases doing something that wasn't hockey, right? Like once you were going to get out of 
once you were going to get out of you know school and and go on to the NHL at some point, that was still a consideration for athletes back then. Like, is this really a good business decision for me? Right. Well, that's a great point because when I graduated that night won you know all the awards in college and even the scoring which was never done by defense before and and, uh so i I agreed to terms with chicago in june but i had to go to work because i got married the year before and then when i was graduating our our daughter was born and i had no money so i had to go to work right i graduated on the fourth of june and went to work on the seventh and so wow uh i was figuring to work three three months and then go to training camp well they didn't send a contract. They just send the letter. They said, you get the contract at camp. I said, I don't come without a contract. <laughs> and they said, well, Bobby Hull doesn't come without a contract. I said, we don't care about Bobby Hull. And he hasn't got a wife, a child, and a college degree. And and so I didn't go. I sat out for five years before I turned pro. And that's because just what you said, Michael, I was making way more money working than I would have been making in the NHL. And so wow. every year they'd come and say, okay, we'll give you that amount now. But I was working for Harvey McKay then selling envelopes and they'd give me the Pillsbury account and the Honeywell account and stuff like that. And I make it over two times what they were making in the NHL. So I wouldn't turn pro and then they'd put a bill through Congress for me to get people to play with the U.S. team in 67 for the Olympics in 68. Right. And uh, so I, I played in the Olympics. When I came home, I, I signed – the contract was unusually high, but that's because of the bargaining power I had. Do you think athletes these days have any frame of reference for that? I mean, I think we feel like we're kind of pretty well removed from that time because it has the the, the salaries keep going up and up. But when you tell a, a hockey player today something like that, does their, does their mind just like <laughs> swirl around in a way that they just can't comprehend that? Oh, it does. They, they can't believe that that happened. Here I was almost 27 when I and prone and they played for 10 years and had sat out five. I mean, you know, if you sit out a month, they think you're never going to play yet. Right. Five years. But uh, I was lucky. And Mariucci at that time gave me the opportunity. He wanted me to coach a freshman while I was working for uh, first Archer Daniels Midland and then McKay Envelope. And, and he moved practice so I could coach the freshman. And I'll never forget, I used to have 75 kids come to try out for the freshman team. And I whittle it down to 25. And none of those kids were on scholarship. That's wow. They had no place to go. And it was all because of John giving them the chance, getting the thing built in Minnesota. And and then Minnesota players proved how good they could be. And then other schools were coming after them. And it was all during that time period, that five years, I watched this develop and I just couldn't believe it. Well, and the North Stars coming in in, what, 67 helped Yep. that as well. And that was right around the time you joined them, right? You joined them in 68? I, well, I came home from the Olympics. I joined yep. them in that first year. And right. When I, when I finished the Olympics and I joined them. Because Chicago couldn't hold my rights anymore when expansion came. Okay. So there were, the reserve lists were cut to 30 and they couldn't hold my rights. So I became a free agent. And so I I essentially, I agreed to terms with them with, with the North Stars in June right after the expansion draft. And uh, I was talking to Ren Blair and, and we were meeting in the Midland Bank building. We were on the fifth floor, and we agreed to terms. He went up to the sixth floor to get a type. I called a friend of mine, George Lyons, and said, okay, I'm going to do it. And he told me all the reasons why I could even get more money. And I said, yeah. Besides that, I said, I'd rather play in the Olympics. So I called upstairs, and I told Ren, I said, Ren, uh, he said, it's almost done. I'll be right down. I said, don't bother coming. I'm playing with the Olympic team. Wow. He was really upset. But, yeah. but it turned out to be you know something I really wanted to do and was yeah. one of the thrills of my lifetime. 
Well, absolutely. And then, you know, starting out with the North Stars, well, what, what was the what was the league like? What was it like to become, you know, playing that playing playing in that time, playing on a team that's relatively new, playing in Minnesota where you'd been a while? Like what what was that process and experience like? It was really uh, you know, for me exhilarating. I loved it. I at that time, as I was talking about the American players weren't in the league. Tommy Williams was the only American player in the league. And I was the second one because I was a naturalized citizen. Other than that, and I and there was only three college graduates in the league, and it was Berenson, Angotti, and myself. And now when you look, there's 324 Americans, the majority playing college, that are in the NHL this year. Wow. And so, and you know, so different. The first game I played, I played every position. I played all right, left wing, center, left defense, right defense. And, and you know, in those days, we used to have, less players dressed. So every team sure. had one guy to play both forwards and, and defense. And so that was me. So wow. uh, it, it's, yeah, I mean, now you, you go with six defensemen the whole game, you go with four lines. It's changed so much. And, and of course the, the rules are different. The no helmets, the right. no visors, nothing of that. It was, it was different, but it was exciting. And I, I really enjoyed it. They do talk today though, a little bit about, you know, hockey has come to it, become to a degree positionless, not in that there's not defined places where guys specialize, but there's so much defense jumping into offense, offense covering for defense. It does feel like there's a little bit of, you know, not that you're going to play all over the ice, but that there, there's some of that element to today's game where there's less of a positional structure maybe than there used to be. Well, that really came about in the 72s, uh, 72 series with the Russians against the some series against Canada. And then, and then it started transforming the game a bit. I remember we had the first Canada Cup in 1976, mm-hmm. and I played for the U.S. And our practices, that's what we used to do all practice long is interchange positions, come up with a play, et cetera. So it started evolving from that. In fact, if you look at the 80 Olympic team, uh, Herb had his team do a lot of that too. You, you realized at that time, that you didn't have to be so structured where the guy the wing never left. Essentially, he never left the boards. He was about right. three, four feet off the boards and staying close to the boards. And you certainly didn't cross over and go, you know, to the other side to get a pass or anything. So the game started evolving really from the Summit Series in 72. But now it's completely evolved. And in, in my time, or changed the game as far as defenseman coming up with the play. He got over 200 points a couple of years. He was yeah. phenomenal. And then some of us, uh, I used to like to do that. Some of us that played that way, you know, did it, but not on the scale you see today. But all teams at that time started to have more free-flowing guys. Montreal's defense, Larry Robinson, he used to carry that puck all the time. So Serge Savard, you know, they're yeah. that's Audrin from the Islanders. There, there are a lot of guys that were very capable of doing it. Obviously, your playing days ended at a certain point, and then you became general manager with the North stars, how would you like to do Bill Guerin's job these days? And how, how much do you think your job versus what he does now is, is similar or different than, than, than what you did? Well, my, my job is different than what he did because uh, I, I negotiated every contract. Wow. I, yeah. I never had a cap structure, which yeah. uh, really you, you need somebody with some legal background, basically to, to help you through, through some of those things. And, and, uh, I, I wouldn't like to do it as much as I did then. You know, things nowadays, uh, one thing I always said, Michael, even in sales, when somebody's ready to buy, 
don't talk yourself out of the sale. Take the sale. If okay. you like it, go ahead and move it. Now, with the cap structure and everything else, gives people time to go back and think again whether they really want to make the move or not by the time they figure everything out. Uh, I used to be able to just say, you want to do this? They say, yep, okay, it's done, bing, gone. Trade is made, and that's it. Now you got to worry about are you within the cap uh, structure? Are you are you going to be going over the following year? There's so much more planning to it. And so staffs, like when I took over, I was playing on a Wednesday night in New York. Mm. We lost 5 nothing. I came home on Thursday. The owners called me and talked to me. Friday, they made me meet the whole board. Saturday, I was named general manager and coach. Amazing. So, you know, a different and, and general manager and coach, no assistant coach. Wow. Uh, I, I let the scouts go, and I had Mariucci do majority of my scouting. And now you've got, you know, I one trainer, one equipment manager, and, you know, now they got staffs of 20 or 15, right. 20. And, and so it's changed considerably. And and I, I I like the fact that, you know, they have all the luxuries of having masseuses and more trainers and more equipment guys. And, and if you look at the game itself, I mean – Guys come off the ice and they put the gloves in the heater, which we, you know, we right. that. And they got all the composite sticks that break so often and blades that fall off your skates. That never happened. And I, yeah, uh, I, I kind of like that part of the game when I was playing better than today. You talked about John Mariucci being a great ambassador for the game and growing the game in Minnesota. You, you picked that up. Obviously, it's not just you, but you have been that over the years here as well in Minnesota, um, you know, great legacy with the state high school hockey tournament. I believe he'll be on the call for that again here very soon. Just all the work you've done, you know, behind the scenes and and in and in the public spotlight for growing the sport. Um, why was that so important to you? Why, why did that just become natural for you, or why why did that become a part of your post career, you know, post playing career legacy? Because uh, what Mariucci sort of instilled in me, I. I... I felt the way he felt. I felt, and I feel, that hockey is the best game in the world. I like to see more people play, more kids. In fact, I had the first girls' hockey school in 1972. Wow. It was never a girls' hockey school until then. I had the Nanny Esposito Hockey School for Boys. And a week after, then I rented the rink because Steezer's babysitter was a real good hockey player. She said, Louis, no one's got a hockey school. We've never had a school for girls. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I had a school for girls the following week. That was the first one there. But uh, I I just, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have my son, my grandson's play. Right. I know how much fun it is. I, I often said, you know, they're paying me this ridiculous amount of money to play hockey. I play for nothing. And and I know how much people treasure it. You look at how many guys that have played hockey. After they're through, they still play old-timers hockey. They play. I got friends playing till 80 years old. And I wish I could do it. I can't with my knees and hip, but... I, I was still playing with the Hollywood celebrities in the uh, North Star alumni until I was 62. Wow. I loved it. And, and I just feel that Mariucci was right. If the kids had the opportunity to play, that they would want to play and this sport would grow. And, and so I whenever I got the opportunity to talk about it, I did it. A couple more things for you, Lou. Really enjoying this conversation. And again, congrats on the induction into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame. It feels like the game is in really good hands, really good shape right now. I don't think we can say that about the evolution of every sport necessarily, but you look at hockey and I think you touched on this at the beginning of our discussion right now. Like it feels like the game is better 
than ever, just faster, like all the advances that have been made in, you know, speed and, and whatever, you know, some in some sports that can make for tighter confines, it can make for a, a clunkier game for hockey. It feels like the sport is is just as good, if not better than it's ever been. How, how would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, I really agree. Uh, Gary Bedman and Bill Daly leading the NHL have done an unbelievable job of growing the, the game throughout the country. We got we got kids uh, in the NHL from 35 states. Uh, wow. And a lot of this game since 1990, since when Bedman took over and the revenues are just, you know, astronomical compared to what they used to be. And as you said, the game itself to watch is so exciting. These kids that are playing are so talented, they're so gifted. And the speed of the game, uh, and it's, it was already the fastest game that you have to play, but now it gets even faster. And and essentially, now if you can't skate, you can't play, which in the olden days, you if you could score goals, and you don't have to be the greatest skater in the world, but you get a position to score now, you can't catch up to the play. And it's so much fun to watch because – I, I always said, uh, you know, the American public loves three things in my mind. They like speed, they like contact, and they like scoring. And the NHL has really increased all of those things by the changes in the athletes themselves over the years. Yeah. And final thought on that. I mean, you watched, you've seen so many players, you played with so many great players over the years, <clears throat> and you've certainly watched even more. Um, number 97 for the Wild is awfully good, Kirill oh. Kaprizov. Where do you, where do you put him? Just in terms of the the Minnesota hockey players that you, you know, if we go back, you know, more than fifty years, obviously to the the start of the the North Stars, and then everybody's played with the Wild. Wh- where do we evaluate what Kirill Kaprizov already is and what he can become? Well, it's uh, in my mind, it's between you know, Madonna is a Hall of Famer and deserves to be. Cicerelli's a Hall of Famer, but he just you know he's a goal scorer. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't play the full uh, game like uh, like Kaprizov did because of Kaprizov's speed and. And his vision of the ice and everything. I, I think right now it's all he's already at a point where the greatest players in Minnesota are either Madonna or uh Caprisa. And and I, I don't, you know, when we had another great one on Broughton that I still upset that he's not in the hockey hall of fame, he should be in my mind. But uh I I, I can't see anybody being better than that. And I don't want to be like Drew Doherty that after 45 games says, well, how can they pay him so much money? Right. Now you go 180 games later and you know why they paid him so much money. Yes. He's like the top five goal scorer and points in that period of time. Right. So the guy is incredible. And I can't tell you how much joy I get watching him. And I do say this and I really believe it for my money. He's in the top three players to watch tonight in the night out. You got McDavid on the question, yep. but then it's complete up. And then we could argue about the third. And and I, it was funny if you watch TNT a, a few weeks ago, and they, at the beginning of the game, they said, "Where do you place Kaprizov and Tarkets to watch?" And Tarkets is on oh, the top seven, and and the other guy said, the "Top five. And I think Bissonette says, "Well, maybe even the top three. At the end of the game, where do you place them? They all said, "In the top three, definitely." <laughs> yeah, that's what Minnesota's got to watch game in and game out. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a it's a great time to be. A hockey fans, a great time to watch the sport here. And you have had a large hand in helping that grow. Lou Nanny, very much appreciative of your time. Congratulations once again on the induction into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame. Be well. I'm sure we'll see you soon. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later, okay? Thanks, Michael. Nice to talk to you. Great stuff from Lou Nanny. Not like you expected anything different. Um, you've probably heard him talk plenty over the years. He's on uh, you know, a lot of radio, things like that. But 
Just thought it was a nice occasion to catch up with him, a great honor for him to be inducted into the Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame, and just kind of a fun look at hockey through the years, a hockey hockey through his eyes. What an ambassador for the sport, and what a great player back in the day. Like you said, he was he led college hockey in scoring as a defenseman um, about 60 years ago. That's amazing. Um, never been done at that point. So um, I don't think it's been done since then. So what what a what a career, what a life for Lou Nanny, and I hope you did enjoy that conversation with uh, with Lou. And again, the the induction is tonight, Mall of America. Um, you know, at the rotunda is just kind of wide open. There's those three levels you can kind of watch, walk around, check it out. A lot of great inductees into the Hall of Fame. A lot of us from the Star Tribune will be there. So check that out if you are around. Let us finish with the cooler. Minnesota skier, Afton native Jesse Diggins, already a very accomplished uh, Nordic skier, wins the women's 10K freestyle at the World Championships on Tuesday becoming the first American woman to capture a gold in an individual cross-country race at the World Ski Champions uh, Championships. Just an amazing effort. Uh, Rachel Blount wrote about it for the Star Tribune. You can see highlights um, of the race, but just an amazing, amazing race. We um, finished in 23 minutes, 40.8 seconds in the 10K race. Uh, I can't even imagine the reserves, the you know, the the energy, the mental fortitude it takes to to do that. So, congratulations to Jesse Diggins. Just a, a great news, a fun fun podium picture of her jumping into the air. Just a cool story. Some good news, and it'll probably a good news show, right? Wolves win, Wild win, Lou Nanny, Jesse Diggins. It's about as positive as we're gonna get. We got to change that at some point. Now we're gonna have a good. Good stuff the rest of the week. Like I said, I'll get some of that Viking stuff tomorrow. I think Chris Hine will be on to finally talk a little bit more about the Timberwolves. I finally, it's just be facetious. I always talk about the Timberwolves, but Chris hasn't been on for a while. Interested to pick his brain on uh, on how this team's kind of been up and down. And expecting on Friday's show to probably have Twins boss Derek Falvey on the show as well chief baseball officer so that should be a good one as well to get into that team and what they are looking ahead to here in spring training and with the season coming up so that is what you have to look forward to i hope you have a great rest of your wednesday until tomorrow i'm michael rand we'll talk to you then